welcome to the Training Babble Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dave Shell, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Nicole Adams and Allison Powers. Dr. Nicole Adams is a triathlon coach and educational psychologist, which we'll find out more what that means in just a moment here. And then Allison Powers, you might know her as a former professional cyclist and also the owner and coach of Alp Cycles Coaching. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Um, so real quick, uh, Nicole, before we move on, I, I always like to have you explain this because I didn't know what an educational psychologist was. And I thought it was more that you were an instructor, but it, it's different than that. Yes, uh, it, it's definitely confusing. Um, educational psychology is essentially the study of learning, uh, the study of how human beings learn and what are the um, different factors that lead to the most enduring and deepest learning. And um, I actually specialized in sports psychology. So I, I got the best of both worlds. Um, the, the field of sports psychology really kind of originated out of education. Um, so sports psychology and education have, have a lot in common. Um, and so the, the study of the psychology of learning has a lot of parallels to the psychology of sport and I was fortunate enough to um, to work out of both departments at my university, both education and uh, sport and exercise science, and kind of marry those two fields. And um, my field of specialty was in um, theories of learning and how we apply that to to sport and um, what aspects of physical activity and sports um, lend themselves well to um, to applying uh, cognitive strategies to learning and vice versa. So um, I use it every single day in my coaching. I'm sure my athletes get super tired of me beating <laughs> the drum, <laughs> but uh, hopefully in a nutshell, that explains it. Awesome. Well, I'm really happy to have you here today because I think your um, expertise and your, your uh, experience is going to come in really handy as far as what we're talking about today. And so just to give a little bit of um, a history or uh, back story here. I reached out to Allison about a year ago, just I think it was right before we went into lockdown as the pandemic was starting to ramp up. And the reason being is that Allison had um, posted something, either a blog post, um, I think it's a blog post, and maybe I found it on your website, or maybe I found it on Facebook, but it, the title was, Is Technology Killing Your Athletic mm -hmm. Potential? And so that really struck a chord with me. And just the kind of gist of it was, an athlete had posted in a post-workout comment that the workout was really hard and harder than they expected. And you went on to say that, well, I don't know why it caught you by surprise because in the description, it specifically says this is going to be really hard. <laughs> um, and it, it struck a chord with me because I feel like this is something that I've been seeing more and more. And as time goes on and we have more technology and all these new toys, it's becoming more of a, and more of an issue. So, um, that's kind of what I wanted to discuss today. But before we get into that, you just tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write that post. I'm sure it wasn't just this one-off experience with an athlete. I'm guessing you've experienced it, you know, with other athletes as well. Yes. I, I think last winter I was getting a little bit frustrated with everybody's, you know, everyone's, most people are inside riding the trainer. So either their smart trainer isn't working or it's not connecting with Zwift <laughs> or it's not talking to their Garmin or training peaks. And all these things that were related to technology 
were hurting their workout. Like what happened to the days where you just write your workout down on a piece of paper and you get on your trainer and you do the workout and you're done. And it's not like killing your brain trying to figure out all this technology. So this one, the one workout was the straw that broke the camel's back. Of, <laughs> wow, I, I had no idea this workout was going to be so hard. I hadn't eaten the right things or drinking the right things. And she had just uploaded, uploaded the workout right from Training Peaks into Trainer Road. And off she went on the trainer and she didn't even read what she was supposed to do. You know, you just pedal and the trainer adjusts its settings and you follow along. And and I I was just so surprised that someone would do that. But I, a lot of people do that. They don't actually know what they're doing. And I just really felt compelled to write, write about it and get all my thoughts out in the world. Absolutely. And I, I agree with you 100%. And I I think I found it more and more with athletes, as you said, and I, I think one of the bigger or another pain point for me is that you don't know what platform shows what for each workout. And so it's just made coaching more and more difficult because you're trying to account for what power meter are they riding today? What platform are they on? Are they on their indoor train? And it just is way over complicating it. Um, but to your original point, that's really something I see where athletes have almost stopped reading the description and all they're doing is it's plug and play. They just turn on Zwift and whatever Zwift tells them to do that day, they're off and running. And to add to that, if their functional threshold power doesn't match on their Garmin and in training peaks and on Zwift, all of a sudden they're just following it blindly and they're doing workouts either way too hard or way too easy because Zwift told them to do that that day. Um, and so one thing this reminds me of, and I, just a quick story is I went to culinary school and one of our chefs, our chef instructors on the first day would give us this long thing. And it was like a long list of things you were supposed to do. But before he started, he said, everything I give you in here, I want you to read all the instructions before you start. And so then he gives us this thing. And so it's like, do this and shift not this and, you know, do all these different things. But the last step was don't do any of this. <laughs> And that was his test. Are you actually reading? And, and that's kind of the point that I'm at now is I almost, you almost have to put things in there <laughs> to like test. Are they, are they reading the description or are they just doing the workouts? So um, not to bag on it too much, but it, I kind of feel like the workout builder in whatever form you're using it, whether it's on training peaks or another platform, it, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. And so I guess let's let's start with the workout builder and just talk about like what are some of the pros and cons of that and I'll I'll start with you Allison. Um I like workout builder. I'm a visual learner. So when you open the workout and you see the graph of how your workout is supposed to look, I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, if you're doing it on the trainer, you can make that graph look almost exactly like it does, but out on the road that's a lot harder. Um so the con side of that is you're, you're riding and all of a sudden it says, oh, you're supposed to be at sweet spot watts and maybe you're, you're going on a downhill and, and you can't do sweet spot until the road starts to flatten out or people, they don't even know what sweet spot is. They haven't taken the time to memorize their zones and know what they're supposed to do. Um, or perhaps the maybe as a coach, I made a mistake and your workout builder for your workout was set for another athlete by accident. Mm -hmm. So the Watts are lower than they're supposed to be. And the athlete's like, oh, well, 
I guess I'll just do that because that's what the workout builder said. But the description was correct. Again, right. the description was correct, but workout builder was wrong. So uh, at the end of the day, I don't like it because it doesn't hold the athlete accountable for making their own power, um, which is what athletes do, especially in a bike race. <laughs> right. And, and so um, I guess a quick question, are you still using, do you still use it with everybody or do you try to use it, it like, okay, I'm going to, if you're riding inside, I'm going to use it. But if you're riding outside, I'm not going to use it. Um, yeah, a little bit of both inside, inside can be helpful. Um, it can be helpful to use the workout builder to exactly estimate the TSS, the training stress score and the intensity factor of a workout. Uh, but if you do intervals and say, you know, do four of these, but if you feel like you can do a fifth at similar power, go for it. Again, if there's not five intervals in the workout builder, how do you restart the workout and get a fifth one? So that's been really frustrating. Um, most athletes want it. Unfortunately, they, they want training plans with that workout builder. So kind of have to do it, unfortunately. <laughs> and we'll, we'll come right back to that. Cause I agree a hundred percent. Um, and, uh, Nicole, like what's your experience with it? Are you still using it or have you shied away from it or? Um, I, so I use a little bit of both. Um, I think the last time we chatted, um, you know, we discussed, uh, that I, I've started to use a different, um, training platform and it has a similar, um, you know, similar function, a workout builder function, and it is, um, super, um, adaptable and amenable to different, you know, using different source, different metrics and, um, different um, scaling up or scaling down of, of the workout week by week and so on. So you can, I mean, you can get incredibly specific, uh, incredibly um, uh, tailored to each athlete's zones and needs and where they are in their build or their, you know, taper and so on. However, <laughs> um, I think this is going to be the theme here. Um, there are times when I think it's super appropriate and necessary and other times where I, I, I pull back a little bit on that specificity and, and leave things a little more open-ended. Um, you know, because I work with triathletes and, um, you know, a, a broad range of abilities and levels of interest and levels of competitiveness, um, it's, uh, I find I'm really tailoring everything, you know, athlete by athlete by athlete, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure all, we all do that as coaches. Um, but I have to think very carefully about how a particular workout structure, whether it's, um, you know, w whether it is a, um, a built workout or more of an open-ended workout is right for this athlete at this point in time, where they are with life stress and so on and so forth. And, um, and then, very importantly, which I have found has been a huge determinant, is how comfortable they are with the technology. So if something happens that the workout stops and they have to go back to the beginning, are, are they going to be fiddling around with their electronics for 10, 15 more minutes, and then that's taken 10 or 15 minutes out of the quality ride? Um, or are they very fluent and able to just go back to the beginning and restart from, you know, from the point where they left off? So um, this field of uh, distraction and attention is is very much an it depends field, which is <laughs> super frustrating because you can never say things in you know black with black and white certainty. But um, but to answer your question, yes, I I use a little bit of both. 
and 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 I promise I my plan isn't to just sit and bag on the uh, the workout builder <laughs> the whole time, but no but it is such like I feel like that's such a jumping good jumping off place. Um, and you know I agree with Allison that it, most athletes do expect it at this point, and it's I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm I almost don't care, and I want to say well if you want that, then find somebody else because that's not what I'm going to do. But the bigger issue I've run into now is that with something like Zwift, it's, there isn't an option to just like ride at a consistent resistance the entire time and do like, and I did find a free ride workout, but people have to go dig for it and everything. Anyway, like that's what I've found is the harder thing now for me where it's like, I just want to use the description, but it's not really an easy way. So then I go back to the workout builder. Right. Um, and, and so I guess centered around this or, um, really what we're trying to get at here is that athletes are kind of losing the ability to self monitor or that, you know, that mind body connection where it's like, what does an effort feel like? What, what does threshold feel like? And it's, I mean, I looked at two comments today and one of them was a pre-ride before a race and, I don't know how I was feeling because I wasn't riding with anybody else. Mm. And I'm like, well, <laughs> like, I don't know what, you know, but it, but for her, it was like, she based how she was feeling depending on like, whether she's like falling back from people or going ahead of people or, you know, relative speed. Um, and then I got an email from another athlete this morning that basically says, I don't know how to do this workout because the metrics aren't there. Like it doesn't tell me what my power should be. It doesn't. And it's like, yeah, but it's RPE. It says like breathing is light, like steady pressure on the pedal. So anyway, um, so going back to your um, point, Allison, I, I think that's really what I struck or one of the big things I struggle with is that flexibility in that some days you're not feeling great or some days you're feeling great and you could either knock out another interval or some day, some days you're at the bottom of the zone and other days you're at the top of the zone or even within a workout, you might start at the bottom and as you come around, you build. And so I guess, how do you address that with your athletes and, and what are some of the tricks you use? Um, I, I try to emphasize everything that you just said, you know, <laughs> Um, just because a workout says you have to be at 193 watts doesn't mean you can't be at 185 or <laughs> closer to 200. It's a zone. Mm -hmm. um, and again, just that, you know, that not knowing one's oneself and one's capability. So always relying on their Garmin telling them what to do. Um, their whoop, you know, oh, you're only this recovered, you're in the red or you're in the green, even though you feel really horrible. Just, right. just that, that loss of ability to trust yourself and, and go by feel is, is, has been the most frustrating. I know that doesn't answer your question on how <laughs> I've dealt with it, um, but really I've, I've just tried to emphasize, you know, you, you need to listen to your body and the, the workout builder is just a guide. You know, you've, you've been sent this pretty Excel sheet with your zones and, and memorize those. And, and if you can't hit the numbers one day, then you can't, or perhaps you throw out the Watts and you go by heart rate and RPE. Um, so just really try to emphasize that there's more to the workout than just the numbers. And there's more to training and recovery than just the numbers. Right. And I think that's, that's such a key point. And I, I think one of the things that I miss most about when it was simple is that I, I used to do so much off of perceived exertion. And what I really liked about that is that you saw progress organically. 
Mm-hmm. So if you're telling somebody to go out and ride two hours easy, well, they might start as 150 watts. And over the course of a couple months, pretty soon it's 160 watts and 170 watts. And their perceived exertion is the same, but their heart rate and their heart rate is similar, but their power has gone up where now I feel like everybody is training to the numbers and it's like just always chasing the watts regardless of what their body's telling them. Um, So um, to move on a little bit with that, the other bane of my existence is erg mode. (laughs) So so I'm just, I'm curious um, how both of you view erg mode and is there a place for it or for me, I, I guess I'll just start where I think the only, in, in my world, the only time there's a place for erg mode is on recovery days. And it's because it forces somebody, it's like you spin as fast as you want, but it's never going to get any harder. Um, so like really to cap the effort, but otherwise I, I absolutely hate erg mode. Um, how about you guys? Yeah, I'm uh, not a fan. Um, I have done a fair bit of training myself in erg mode, and um, it it messes with. This is my opinion, of course. I feel that it messes with your perception of effort and how much you would modulate your effort to attain a certain output. Um, I know I know that those are fixed, so there's not really much, you know, wiggle room there. But if, uh, again, if, if we're looking at the human body not as a machine and as an, an organic being, um, there is absolutely no, there's very little relevance to saying you must ride between 200 and 202, and that's the only good way to do this workout. Um, it, because it takes out a feedback mechanism that I think is really important for um, developing an understanding of effort and pacing. Um, and I think this also kind of goes hand in hand with the workout builder where, um, you know, where, where if the workout builder is controlling the resistance of the trainer, um, you are not gaining the experience of actually ratcheting up your effort to attain a certain kind of steady output because the trainer is making you go at a steady output and, and all you're going to get to do is manipulate the cadence. I, I just haven't seen a lot of positive um a lot of benefit to that while I can see how maybe if you're training for like a hill time trial, um, you might say, okay, today I'm just going to dial it in that, you know, X resistance or X watts. Um, But even then I feel it's so important to be able to modulate your effort and the pressure you're putting down on the pedals based on the environment, based on how you're, I mean, if, if you, I, th- I think a lot of research has shown that if you go really hard right from the gun, you dig into glycogen stores very quickly and you are more likely to fatigue earlier, even if you are at a very high level of fitness. So there's something to be said for slowly ramping up your effort. But, you know, again, in erg mode, and of course, erg mode can slowly ramp up. It's just you're not in control of that. So that's that's my complaint about erg mode. <laughs> And how about you, Allison? Uh, well, first, I this is a little bit embarrassing or not. I've never <laughs> ridden a smart trainer. Oh, so I love it. I have <laughs> Good to on be, you. I always have to be curry. reminded, uh, erg mode is where it sets the resistance for you. You plug your workout in and, and go. Is that correct? It, it does. And it, it, 
yeah. basically adjust. And I, I'll, I used an analogy, I think, last time I talked to Nicole. And I, the reason I hate it is it's almost like if you were working with a personal trainer and you were doing squats, and as you slowed down, they just kept adding more weight because yeah. it, oh as your cadence slows, it adds resistance. <laughs> so, that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I everything Nicole said, I agree with hundred <laughs> um, percent. And and really, what does that train you for? Nothing in real life outside. Um, you know, what about the wind or terrain? Um, you know, that doesn't train you for any real life anythings. So I I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I love it. No. Um, yeah. And I, I, I mean, I have had some coaches, um, say there is a place for, I just haven't found the place that I just haven't found it. And especially on top of that, you think about a power meter, they, you know, the, the, uh, proclaimed or advertised accuracy is usually like within 2%. Mm-hmm. And so it can vary by quite a few Watts up or down from day to day. And so to hold you within this narrow range just makes no sense to me at all. Um, so anyway, um, before we move on um, from that, or I guess this is a good segue to the next thing I wanted to talk about is um, what are some of the benefits of it, right? I, I think they're, it's not just all bad. I think it's, for me, it's um, some of these new platforms like Zwift specifically is, and the smart trainers has made it more bearable for people to ride inside. And so one of the ways that I like it is they have this virtual course. And so what I'll do a lot of times for general endurance, it's like, you just go ride a course and, and the pressure on the pedals varies. You're going to like push a bit harder on the uphills and take it easy on the downhills. And it's not exactly right. Like riding outside, but at least you're not slogging along at 200 Watts for 90 minutes, you know, like right there. So, um, what are some of the other benefits that you guys see with, um, something like Zwift? Um, so from my experience, um, I, I've used uh, both Zwift and Ruby uh, for myself and for my athletes. Um, what I see as some of the benefits, um, more so with Ruby, which is actually real, you know, uh, real live, uh, not live, but real pictures. So it's somebody has driven or ridden a course, taken a video, and then you ride it um, as if you're on the road. Um, what I love about that is the is the visual cues and the feedback that you get there. You know that same thing about feedback mechanisms. Um, so when you're on the trainer, this is a, as, as a side note. I think a lot of athletes find riding the trainer and running on a treadmill feels harder than it does in real life outside on the road. My theory is it's because you're missing some very important cues. So when you're on a stationary exercise machine, your brain is not get perceiving scenery going by you. So you're going, you're supposedly going and you know going forward, but you have no cues to show you that forward momentum or that forward movement. So what I love about these, um, you know, these virtual training platforms is that you're getting some. some visual cues and feedback that show you, oh, okay, when I pedal harder, I go faster, the scenery goes by me quicker. And um, it's, it's, it's like a, it's in the sort of sensation and perception of um, my effort leads to faster forward motion. 
Right. So what I love about it is that it actually does give you more of a real world feel. Um, so it's more uh, applicable to riding on the road. And then second of all, that it is just a lot more enjoyable. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so though, to me, those are the, the pluses. Yeah. How about yeah. you, Aslan? Yeah, ag- agreed. It definitely makes training in the wintertime more accessible to people living in winter climates. Because a lot mm-hmm. of time, I mean, just slogging along on the trainer is really boring unless you've had some kind of structure to make the mm-hmm. time pass. So um, this has opened up the enjoyment for training in the wintertime on the trainer. It, it's it's a lot better. Um, I also like, um, you know, some people get a little competitive on Zwift and all of a sudden they get a harder workout than they would outside just riding by themselves. And so I like that, you know, if it's a person, you know, that doesn't push themselves very much outside, but they get on Zwift for an hour and get a really great workout, um, just going for QOMs or sprint jerseys, then that's very good. Um, I also have found it teaches people how to ride hard. Some sometimes you just can't can't get it by yourself or whatever, but all of a sudden you have have the trainer, you know, loading up the squat rack on you when you're dying and <laughs> and you have to get over it. it. It can force, you know, teach someone what what pushing really is. That's such a good point and it's it's I I use this as an example um with my athletes all the time. And it's, I, I feel like I really had, as far as me as an athlete, I truly had my like breakout moment when one of my physical therapist was talking to me and he's like, asked me, he's like, wait, how old are you? And I told him and he goes, dude, it should always hurt. And it was like, that just like flipped a switch in me. And it's like, it's, so the ability to suffer is such an important aspect. It, like, and maybe we could say it in a nicer way, but I mean, it's such an important aspect. You can have all the best numbers in the world, but if you don't know how to suffer, you're never going to realize your potential. And so I think that's such a good point where y- you have this like concentrated experience when you're on the trainer in a Zwift race, or, or you can race more frequently, right? When you're racing every weekend or something on Zwift. And it's like, you find that other gear that you wouldn't have had outside. And so hopefully that's transferable. So when you do get outside, you know, everything is relative and you have these kind of shifting baselines where now you know what pain really is when you've done that like 40 minute Zwift race and you can apply that to your cross race or your road race, you know? So, um, do you have athletes that use any of the other platforms, Allison? such as, uh, like trainer road or, or stuff? Um, yeah, some, some use trainer road. Uh, I'd say Trainer Road and Zwift are the most popular. Um, Nicole, I had never heard of that one that you just mentioned, so I, I can yeah. do some homework and learn about <laughs> it. Um, and yeah, mostly mostly those two. And, and so, um, do you have thoughts on those on like Trainer Road? Um, well, again, personally, I have not ever used any of them, <laughs> um, so I can only go off what. What I what I learned from with talking with my athletes and seeing their files, um, I have gotten some nice workouts from like Trainer Road, uh, and you can always say you know go do a Zwift race instead of two by twenty sweet spot as a Zwift race will get you those numbers without mm-hmm. having to kill yourself with right. your twenty minute sweet spot. Um, had something else, but now it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It'll come back to you. Um, <laughs> So it's funny you say uh, that you haven't tried any of it. So you haven't tried Zwift either. 
So, no. And it's so funny because I feel like I feel like that's part of my struggle is I feel like I have to go try all these things. And so every mm-hmm. time something new is announced, I'm like, oh, and so like going downstairs because I know that I'm going to have to answer, like have an opinion about it at some point. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's just like every new FTP test that comes out, everything, I feel like it's my job to try it so that I can. Yes. Um, but <clears throat> yes, for I, me, fortunately for me, I have some athletes who are, up on the new, all the new things and want to try them. And so I, you know, go ahead, try them. Let's see this trainer road ramp FTP test and, and see if it matches, you know, then you have the trainer road that tells you your FTP, your Garmin that tells you your FTP, your training peaks (laughs) that tells you your FTP and your WKO that tells you your FTP. But you Um, go with the highest number, always the highest number. (laughs) (laughs) So so I feel lucky I have, have about two that are willing to experiment with that. And they really help me learn, which is super valuable. Because um, personally, I don't have any desire to try all the new <laughs> things. I, so so learn, learn from the athletes. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, I, I will say for me that I, I, I do like trainer road and that it's a very stripped down as far as doing workouts because there's not a lot of distraction there. It's basically gives you a line that shows what your target should be, but then you can set it. So it's not on erg mode. So you're still responsible for producing the power, but it gives you a visual. And that's what I really like as far as like pacing and stuff like that is it you're getting immediate feedback versus your power, which is jumping around constantly, you know, on the screen, you can just see this line. And so for somebody that is pretty poor at pacing, I think that can be a really good tool to kind of teach them, like get your power within this range and, you know, just focus on holding the cadence or what have you. Um, so I do like it from that standpoint, but oh, we might've lost a Nicole. Anyway, <laughs> we'll just keep going. Hopefully she'll come back. Um, so yeah, I, I guess what are some of the other things you see as far as um, athletes kind of losing that mindfulness with training. I like for one of my examples is with runners. I, a lot of times tell them not to run with music because when they're running with music, they can't hear their breath. They can't hear how hard their feet are slapping the ground, things like that. And so, but indoor on the trainer, I would definitely encourage somebody to listen to music because it's going to push you that much more, right? You've got your power song or what have you. So are there any things like that that Um, you find? Yeah. I, I agree about the music with riding bikes. I, I think you need to be in in the workout. The the music should not distract you from the pain. You need to deal learn to deal with the pain because in a race you're you're not having a distraction. You're having people ripping your legs off, and you need to be able to deal with that. Um, one thing I have seen uh, you're going back to your previous question about Zwift and Trainer Road. I think actually all of those programs have taken away from what we do as coaches, um, because being an athlete and being faster is so much more than a training plan and pushing big numbers and having an FTP. That kind of the art of coaching and teaching people how to be athletes and take care of their bodies and learn how to race, you know, either running race or bike race and I feel like they've taken away from what we do as coaches and that's really disappointing. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I always, especially with the trainer road stuff is I, f- I feel like they've broken it down as if fitness is just an equation or success is an equation. Like, Oh, if, if you want to do well, you just need this much TSS, which means you just need to do 
these workouts each week and you know but it's there's so many other things nutrition mental toughness things like that that get lost so um hi welcome back nicole (laughs) joys of living in a rural area (laughs) so sorry i think i think i dropped out about uh, it was 29 minutes on the recording i'm not even going to edit it we'll just this is just real life. This is just real life, man. You we know, just roll it's with the it. technology. It's so important that oh yeah, so there it is. You see, you see. So we're we're just oh. talking. I was asking Allison about aside from the trainers, like what are some of the other things that cause athletes to lose kind of that feel? And I, I brought up music, and I said for me, if I was training a runner, a lot of times I say don't run with music because you need to hear that. Mm-hmm. Whereas inside on the trainer. I'm okay with the music as long as you're still focused on the workout, which, um, yeah. Yes. So I guess in addition to music, is there other things you can think of where it's kind of a tug at that? Atten- and, and it really comes down again to that mindfulness is, are you in that workout and mm-hmm. are you paying attention to like one of the, sorry, I keep talking, but one of the <laughs> things I've always found fascinating is I, I can tell when athletes are indoor training like when they're watching TV, because it's like, you'll see it. And all of a sudden, like the cadence just falls or the power, like they, like they get distracted, right? Like there's, they start daydreaming and they're no longer thinking about like holding a power or whatever. And it's, and I've asked people like, Oh, were you watching a TV show for this? And it's like, yeah, you could see like when commercials would come on and then the show would come back on. So, um, yeah. So there's a long, uh, intro there. So, um, what are some of the things you deal with there? Yeah, you know, I think um, they're probably just a function of the era that we're in. You know, there's so many things competing for our attention and every uh, app or new technology that comes along is better at grabbing our attention. So, you know, I I am uh, totally addicted to email. I'm completely fine (laughs) with admitting that. Um, that I notice I have a compulsion to check my email when I'm on the trainer. And um, I started to think, you know, it would be better to either put the phone on do not disturb or just leave my phone in another room. Um, You know, so I actually have had this discussion recently with an athlete I'm working with about, you know, compartmentalizing and whether it might be a good idea to actually, uh, if, if you have 90 minutes on the trainer, to literally say that as a sacred 90 minutes and there's no email checking, there's no Facebook checking, there's no Instagram checking, uh, because I, I feel like those are actually a worse competitor for our attention than a streaming TV show um, would be or, you know, movie, whatever it is. Um, and this is kind of where the, you know, some of the research comes in, which I won't bore you with, but, you know, there's a whole field of re- research on um, kind of different styles of attention while you're exercising and what leads to better outcomes and what doesn't. And, um, you know, there's some evidence to show that uh, a dissociative style, so a style of attention where you're not focusing on, you know, specifically on the workout or specifically on how you're feeling as you're riding or running, um, it can lead to better outcomes. And then there's conflicting research that shows that it that it doesn't. So um, like so much in our lives, the, the answer is it depends. Right. Um, but, but no, I, I think that, um, you know, 
if if one was to sort of draw a hard line and say training time is sacred, if you were out on the road, you would not be checking your phone. At least I hope you wouldn't be. Um, you know, let's let us put that phone away for you know for ninety minutes and come back to it when you're done. Um, but yeah, I think I think that the you know apps and and um, social media and email are the worst competitors for our attention. And I, I think about um, I think it was a study, and I, I don't know when it came out, but it's basically they had people I, the they were supposed to sit there for like fifteen minutes without any distractions, or they could give themselves an electric shock. And like 90% of the participants chose to shock themselves versus sit there with their own thoughts. And it's, but it's so true, right? Like I find it when we're watching a show and a commercial comes on, all of a sudden it's like you're grabbing your phone and like scrolling through Instagram because it's like, we almost, Mm -hmm. we need a constant flow of like stimulation, stimulation. Yeah. At this point. And um, yes, correct. Yeah. And so like, hopefully not happening outside, but I see it on the trainer too, for myself, where it's like, you're doing an interval and you're in the moment and then you're like recovery. And then it's like, Oh, pull out the email, like search. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, yeah. We need to get back to um, being uncomfortable, I think. So, um, I I guess, is there anything I didn't touch on that, you know, some of the things that like in the same lane, Nicole, that um, you think are important for athletes to be aware of and for us as coaches to focus on? Yeah. So actually I was so glad that you, um, that you kind of pushed us to do this podcast that I know that you had talked about over a year ago. <laughs> it had actually even been in the back of I, my I, mind. If you want to talk about, you know, distraction. I will say so to on. our, uh, to um, our defense. Yeah, I'm so glad you did because it, it, prompted me to uh, go back and look at some of the research. And um, so this whole, I I think one of the reasons why people are confused is because actually, if you go back to the research, the research is confusing. Um, The whole notion of attention, and um, if if you want to talk about sort of attentional focus and exercise, has been the waters have been very muddied um, because uh, researchers have not used the same definition for attention. They've measured it differently, and a lot of the studies are poorly controlled. So, uh, if you want to talk about some of the roots of so much confusion in our lives, is is poorly controlled research. Um, so, kind of basically, what it comes down to is um, looking at the difference between associative versus dissociative thinking. So associative would be focusing on your body, your body's response to the exercise, how you're feeling, kind of those internal cues. And dissociative would be more of kind of a a blocking out or focusing on something completely unrelated to to exercise, completely unrelated to what you're doing. Um, And kind of all the old research pointed to um, dissociative thinking led to more enjoyment, which is kind of, you know, a bit of a no-brainer. <laughs> if you're, if it's painful, think about yeah. something else. Um, however, the the story flips a little bit when you're talking about high-performance athletes, and and this is kind of where you know I think we all live and we all think about is what is going to lead to the greatest fitness benefit and the most applicable. Um, you know, fitness gains for compet- for competition. And so for a competitive athlete, they need to um, be comfortable focusing on the bodily cues 
and know how to read those correctly and get plenty of experience kind of modulate I mean you know just modulating effort based on bodily sensations. So the biggest problem I see is if any distraction takes you out of that and takes you away from, and I'm really only talking about kind of harder workouts that are designed to, um, you know, to increase fitness in certain zones and to be applicable to racing. Um, if there are distractions that take you away from that, you're actually not getting the full benefit because you're not get gaining practice at, um, reading your bodily sensations and then adjusting accordingly. Um, so if all of that makes sense, I, I think that's why people are confused is because the research has been confusing and it's um, not very well conceptualized and people have kind of redefined what attention means in different studies. But I think the we could probably all agree that ultimately as a competitive athlete, you need to know what your body is telling you how to read it and then how to react to it. So that's a good segue to another uh, bullet point I have here. And it's one of the biggest issues I see with this is, is beyond athletes not being in tune with that is what happens when technology fails. And like an example from my own um, experiences, my first power meter, I'd bought it because I was about to do my first Ironman. And so I was like so excited and I trained all year on it. And then is um in wisconsin and i dropped it off the night before it rained all night i hop on power meter's dead so luckily i knew what that effort felt like because i'd done it so many times i like knew and it, like i tell my athletes a lot of times that for me the power meter in racing is kind of to hold you back in the beginning when you're feeling good and to push you at the end when you're not feeling good but other than that it's not like we're like staring at the numbers and so yeah just i, I feel like that's a bigger risk here is that if you have no concept of what these efforts feel like and technology fails or if the, if it's reading high one day or reading low, like you've lost that. And so, um, how do we get around that? Um, I, I agree. And I've had athletes just stop a workout because they're, Oh yeah. Their it doesn't power count. Is wrong. If your Garmin you dies, you need to go home. Cause yeah, the workout you still could have kept riding. <laughs> Um, so, uh, sometimes I have people do rides, um, with like tape on their garment or the garment in their pocket, mm -hmm. um, or just give workouts with no workout builder, like hill attacks, um, pick a rolling route and attack the bottom of the hill, ride hard up the hill and attack over the hill, um, and do that like six or seven times. And, and it's actually really interesting to see what the athletes do without the power meter telling them what to do. Um, and then that can be a nice learning tool after the fact. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes back to, like I was talking about the organic kind of improvement and things like, like, I feel like it pigeonholes people and they think, oh, this is what I'm capable of, or this is what I'm not capable of. And all of a sudden you remove that and they like hit new best because they were just going off what felt hard that day. Right. So mm -hmm. how about you, Nicole? Definitely. Yeah, I I think we talked about this before. Um, I have a, a couple of athletes, more so for running, um, remove pace from the face of their watch. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like I must sound like such an old person because <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wish, I wish we could go back to a time when there was no GPS. You know, um, pace is so distracting. Um, it, it is, the feedback is, 
for the most part, very unhelpful. Um, and then, you know, what I find is people get into sort of that, you know, I think it was Joel Friel called it the happy hard zone. So you're getting into sort of like a zone somewhere between zone three and zone four all the time. And it's uh, it, it feels um, slightly, very slightly uncomfortable, but you feel fast, but you are never, I mean, always going too hard to recover and too, quote unquote, easy to truly improve long term. So um, what I've done is, um, you know, I've recommended they look at only time and heart rate and the workouts are written to go by, you know, uh, a warm up, a main set, a cool down that focuses on how much time you know you have in in each segment of the workout, and it's either by heart rate or perceived exertion. And um, a couple of athletes that I work with have found that to be very <laughs> transformational uh, because they've actually built um, a, a much, uh, from what I can see, a much you know more robust aerobic engine from it because they're not always working in that sort of you know. A sexy fast zone that looks really great on Strava or Garmin and is so, you know, it's like can it's like cotton candy. It's it's satisfying for a second, but it really does nothing for you long right. term. Um, I think another aspect of that too, and you and I were talking before we started recording about the weather right now, and I deal with it every spring. And it's like in Colorado, it could be thirty one week, and then. 80 the next week. And and so what I find when people are chasing watts or chasing pace, it's like all of a sudden they're out there like trying to ride the same that they were when it was really cold. And they're like, Oh, it's so much harder. And it's like, yeah, it's like, listen to your body, like slow down. If it feels that much harder, your body's telling you something, you know? So, um, great idea with the pace. Um, I'm just taking a look here at my notes. Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, we, we bagged on all the technology and everything and it, it's definitely not all bad. Um, but I, I guess what are the takeaways here from, um, for any athlete that happens to be listening to this, like everything in moderation, right? Like <laughs> these are all tools yes. to help us, but it's like your, your FTP is not the goal. Your CTL is not the goal. Your TSS is not really the goal. It's like performance is a goal at the end of the day. And that's a very complex thing that's not just about the power numbers that day. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I feel like the takeaway should really be, um, you know, developing feel and, um, you know, developing a good understanding of what effort and pacing is, you know, how to pace yourself from start to finish is really best developed with a minimum of technology. Um, really, all you kind of need to know is your time, your time out there and, and you know, what are your um, you know, kind of what is the structure of your workout supposed to look like and dialing much more into the sensations of that effort. And ultimately, I, I feel that translates best to racing. As we've said, you know, power meters in racing have um, kind of limited use, you know, utility. And um, if you can really dial into the feel of just by the way, Dave, I had the exact same thing happen <laughs> with my power meter at an Ironman. I think it was Lake Placid and poured with rain the night before the race. 
got to my bike after, you know, in the morning to get set up, dead, dead, dead. So it was an outstanding learning experience that I ultimately, you know, translated to my coaching, which is you really have to know what specific efforts feel like and what is the effort you're going for, uh, what is sustainable. I think that's the biggest thing is get the impression that athletes aren't aware of what is a sustainable effort for a certain amount of time. So I feel the takeaway should be dial into what your body is telling you. I I love that sustainable effort. And I I was just going to ask Allison, when you're out there and you're doing your time trials and road race, are you staring at your power meter the whole time or were you, maybe you had a wattage range, but did you just go off on how you felt that day? Yeah. In, in time trials, I, I definitely always wanted a power meter, but it was more for the data afterward. Um, Dave, like you said earlier, I needed it to hold me back at the start. Otherwise, I could start too hard. Um, I also liked having the power meter on recovery, um, you know, on, when, on the downhill when you're starting to recover to not recover too much. Like, okay, okay, that's it. That's, I know I can sustain this pace and recover. Um, so it was more of like a, a governor for the effort than, oh my God, I need to be at this. You know, I, I uploaded to that. I can't remember what it's called, but the time trial <laughs> thing that helps you with your pacing. Best bike split. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like that either. Um, <laughs> anyway, you did, you didn't, yes, it's only a guideline. All this technology is only a guideline. Um, at the end of the day, you could do better than the technology is telling you you should do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you, you are worse. Um, and we just have to be okay with that. Love it. Mm-hmm. So before I let you guys go, any, any parting thoughts or words of wisdom for athletes? I know we just had our takeaways there, but I mean, is there anything that you've read or, or listened to that kind of, um, hits home some of these ideas that we were talking about today? I, I hope that a lot of athletes listen to this podcast because there's been so much great information from three, you know, totally different background coaches that, um, have very similar thoughts about it all. So I hope a lot of people listen to this. It's been really awesome. How about you, Nicole? Likewise. Yeah, same. I, you know, I, I hope that people uh, feel that they can kind of um, lose the chains of technology and not be uh, bound by it. Um, technology is wonderful, but we need to be in charge of it, not it in charge of us. Um, if there can be a message I could get out there as a public service, let's us take charge and decide when we're going to use technology and how and use it for our best needs and not let it di- dictate to us how we behave. Love it. And and I just had a great idea. And I, I have to admit now that I uh, really, my whole goal with this is I just record these so I can give them to my athletes so that I don't have to say the same things over again. No. <laughs> Just, just hearing the same things from someone else. Yeah, someone exactly. Like the, the other people agree with me. That's what. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I really appreciate both of your times, and um, hopefully we can do it again in the future. And uh, yeah, you guys have a great day.